I saw in my dream that as they went on, Faithful happened to look to one side of the way and saw a man whose name was Talkative. He walked for a distance beside them, because in this place there was enough room for them all to walk side by side. He was a tall man and more handsome at a distance than he was when close at hand. To this man Faithful addressed himself in this manner as they drew near. Friend, which way are you going? Are you going to the heavenly country? Talkative said, Yes, I am headed to that very same place. That's good, Faithful said. I do hope you will join us. By all means, I have every intention of being your traveling companion. Faithful motioned for him to join them. Come on with us then, and let us spend our time talking about things that are profitable. Certainly, certainly. Talkative stepped in line with them. To talk about things that are good is most enjoyable with you or anyone else. I'm glad I've met someone inclined to such discussions. To tell you the truth, there are few who care to spend their traveling time in this way. Instead, they rather discuss things that are quite unprofitable. In fact, this is something that has often troubled me. Indeed, Faithful agreed. That's something to be disturbed about for... The things worthy of conversation are the things of the God of heaven. I certainly admire your attitude, Talkative said, for you speak with conviction. And I might add, what else is so pleasant and so profitable is to talk about the things of God. For instance, if a man delights in such wonderful things as that, what could be more pleasurable to talk about than the history or mystery of such things? Or if a man loves to talk about miracles, wonders, or signs, where else will he find such things so delightfully recorded and so sweetly penned as in the Holy Scripture? That is true, Faithful admitted. But the real purpose of such discussion is that we should be benefited by such things in our talk. That should be our intended focus. That's exactly what I said, Talkative went on because talking of such things is most profitable, since by so doing a man may gain knowledge about many things. For instance, generally speaking, he may gain knowledge about the futility of earthly things and the benefit of things above. Most specifically, he may learn the necessity of the new birth, the insufficiency of our works, the need of Christ's righteousness, etc. Besides, by such talk of religion a man may learn what it means to repent, to believe, to pray, to suffer, or the like. Plus, by such profitable discussions, a man may learn about the great promises and consolations of the gospel, and with such knowledge find personal comfort. Along with this, a man may learn to refute false opinions, to vindicate the truth, and also to instruct the ignorant. Faithful said, This is true, and I am glad to hear these things from you. Unfortunately, Talkative broke in, the lack of this perspective is the reason so few understand the need of faith and the necessity of a work of grace in this soul in order to obtain eternal life. As a result, they ignorantly live according to the works of the law, by which no man can enter the kingdom of heaven. Faithful quickly jumped in as Talkative took a breath. But do allow me to say that heavenly knowledge of these truths is the gift of God. None can attain these things by human effort, 
let alone just talking about them. I know all this very well, Talkative said with a dismissive wave of his hand, for a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. All is of grace, not of works. I could quote a hundred scriptures that confirm this. Well then, Faithful looked Talkative in the eye. What one good topic shall we discuss at this time? Whatever you like. I'm willing to talk about heavenly things or earthly things, moral things or evangelical things, sacred things or secular things, past things or future things, foreign things or domestic things, essential things or incidental things, provided that the discussion is for our profit. Faithful was becoming impressed with his new traveling companion and stepped closer to Christian, who had been walking by himself all this time. Faithful leaned closer to Christian and said, What a brave companion we have here. Surely this man will make a very excellent pilgrim. A slight smile played across Christian's lips. This man with whom you are so taken will captivate a multitude with his words, provided they are not familiar with him. You mean to say you know him, then? Know him? Christian asked. Yes, and better than he knows himself. Seriously? And tell me who he is. His name is Talkative. He lives in the town we come from. I know destruction is large, but I'm surprised you don't know who he is. Faithful scratched his head. Whose son is he? And exactly where does he live? He is the son of one Saywell, Christian said. He lived in Prating Row, and all who know him call him by the name of Talkative of Prating Row. In spite of his eloquent manner of speaking, he remains a wretched fellow. Well, he seems to be a rather attractive man. Yes, Christian agreed. That's how he appears to people who are not well acquainted with him. He looks best from a distance, but close up is really quite ugly. You're saying that he's an attractive man brings to mind what I have observed in the work of a painter whose pictures look best at a distance, but up close they are not so good-looking. Are you joking? Faithful asked. Since you smiled, I'm thinking maybe you're just joking. Sorry you mistook my smile, because God forbid if I should make this a laughing matter, or that I should accuse this man falsely. I want to tell you more about him so that you can understand why I say what I say. This man will accept any company as long as he's allowed to talk though he will now talk with you in the same way he will enjoy a conversation in a tavern, and the more he drinks, the more things he has to talk about. Religion has no place in his heart, or house, or conversation. All that he stands for depends on his mouth. His religion is to make a noise with it. Can't believe it. That means I have been greatly deceived by this man. Deceived. Ah, you may be sure of it. Remember the proverb, They say to do, but do not do. Scripture. Therefore, whatever they bid you to observe, observe it and do it, but do not act according to their works, for they say and do not do it. Matthew 23, verse 3. But the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Scripture. For the kingdom of God is not in words, but in virtue. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20. He talks about prayer, of repentance, of faith, and of the new birth, 
but he only knows how to talk about them. I have visited his family and have observed him both at home and abroad, and I know what I say is the truth. His house is as empty of religion as the wide of an egg is devoid of flavor. There is no prayer offered in his house, nor any sign of repentance for sin. Yes, even an animal serves God far better than talkative. To all who know him, he is the very stain, reproach, and shame of religion. Scripture Do not catch me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. Psalm 28, verse 3 Because of his reputation, the neighborhood in which he lives hardly has a good word to say about him. The common people who really know him say, A saint abroad and a devil at home. His poor family would agree with me. He is an impolite and mean-spirited person, and such a bitter complainer and unreasonable man with his servants. They are at a loss as to how to speak to him or fulfill their duties. Men who have any dealings with him say, It is better to deal with a barbarian traitor than with him, for fairer dealings they shall have at their hands. This talkative, if possible, will go behind their backs to defraud, entice, and outsmart them. Besides, he brings up his sons to follow in his steps. If he finds what he calls a foolish timidity in any of them, this is what he calls the first signs of a tender conscience. He calls them fools and stupid blockheads. For this reason, he will rarely employ them or even recommend them to others. In my opinion, his wicked lifestyle causes many to stumble and fall and will be the ruin of many more unless God intervenes. Well, my brother, Faithful answered, from what you say, I am compelled to believe you, not only because you have personally known him, but because you offered your report with a Christian attitude. I can't imagine that you told me these things out of ill will, but rather see your motive is your love for the truth. If I didn't know him any more than you, I might have thought of him the same way you did at first. If I had received such information from the hands of those who are enemies to religion, I would have thought it to be slanderous. Unfortunately, the names and reputations of good men often suffer and are defamed by such messages as his. This isn't just my opinion. I can prove him guilty of all these things and many more that are just as bad. Besides, good men are ashamed of him. They can neither call him brother nor friend, and for those who know him, the mere mention of his name makes them blush. Well, Faithful said, I see that saying and doing are two things. From now on, I shall more carefully observe this difference. They certainly are two separate things, and as different as the soul and the body. Think of it like this. The body without the soul is nothing but a dead carcass. So just saying these things without doing them is, in the same way, dead. The soul of true religion is the practical part. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. James 1.27 Talkative isn't aware of this. He thinks that hearing and saying alone makes a person a good Christian. As a result, he deceives his own soul. Hearing is like the sowing of the seed. Talking alone isn't sufficient to prove that fruit is actually in the heart and life. And let's be perfectly clear. On Judgment Day, men shall be judged according to their fruit. 
scripture. But he that was planted in good ground is he that hears the word and understands it, and who also bears the fruit and brings forth, one a hundredfold, and another sixty, and another thirty. Matthew 13, verse 23. At that time, the question won't be, did you believe? But instead will be, were you doers or talkers only? It is by this that they will be judged. The end of the world is compared to our harvest. Scripture. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Matthew 13, verse 30. And you know how it is at the harvest. Men notice nothing but fruit, and anything that is not of faith cannot be accepted. I'm saying this to help you see how insignificant the profession of talkative will be at that day. Faithful pondered Christian's words and said, This brings to my mind what Moses described about the beast that is clean. Scripture Nevertheless, these ye shall not eat of, those that chew the cud, or of those that divide the cloven hoof, the camel and the hare and the coney, for they chew the cud, but do not divide the hoof. Therefore they are unclean unto you. And the swine, because it divides the hoof, yet does not chew the cud, it is unclean unto you. You shall not eat of their flesh, nor touch their dead carcass. These ye shall eat of all that are in the waters. All that have fins and scales shall ye eat, but whatever does not have fins and scales ye may not eat. It is unclean unto you. Of all clean birds ye shall eat. Deuteronomy 14, verses 7 through 10. Talkative is one who chews the cud. He seeks knowledge. He chews upon the word, but does not divide the hoof. He does not separate himself from his sinful lifestyle. But like the hare, he retains the foot of the dog or bear and therefore remains unclean. For all I know, Christian said, you have spoken the true sense of the gospel from these texts. And I will add another thing which Paul says, he calls some men sounding brass and a tingling cymbal, and this includes those who are great talkers. Scripture, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. He explains this further in another place where he describes them as things without life-giving sound. Scripture, and even things without life-giving sound, whether flute or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is played or harped? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 7. He's talking about things without life, that is, without the true faith and grace of the gospel. Consequently, pilgrims who base what they say on such things shall never be placed in the kingdom of heaven among those who are the children of life. For the children of life remain true in what they say, as if it were the tongue or voice of an angel. Faithful scratched the crown of his head. Well, now I am sick of his company. What shall we do to be rid of him? Just take my advice, Christian said. Do as I tell you, and you shall find he will quickly become sick of your company too. That is, unless God touches his heart and converts it. What would you have me to do? 
Christian gestured in Talkative's direction just a little ways before them. Go to him and enter into some serious discussion about the power of true religion. Once he is agreeable to this topic, ask him directly whether this thing is set up in his heart, house, or daily behavior. Then Faithful stepped forward again and fell in line with Talkative. Hello, how are you? Talkative smiled. Thank you for asking. I'm well. Now, I did think we should have been able to talk a great deal by this time. Well, Faithful said, if you are willing, we can have some profitable discussion now. Since you left it up to me to come up with a topic, let it be this. How does the saving grace of God display itself when it lives in the heart of man? Talkative said, I notice that our talk must be about the power of things. Well, this is a very good question, and I shall be more than willing to answer you. So accept my brief answer as follows. First, when the grace of God dwells in the heart, it causes a great outcry against sin. Secondly, no, hold on, Faithful stopped him. Let's consider each item one at a time. To make it clear, I think you should have said that it shows itself by persuading the soul to abhor its sin. A slight frown wrinkled Talkative's brow. Why, what difference is there between crying out against and abhorring sin? Oh, a great deal, Faithful said. A man may cry out against sin in principle, but he cannot abhor it, except by virtue of a godly aversion against it. I have heard many cry out against sin in the pulpit, but who still live with it without any problem in their heart, house, everyday life. Scripture And it came to pass, when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and left. Genesis 39, verse 15 Joseph's mistress cried out with a loud voice, as if she had been godly and virtuous but in reality she would have willingly committed adultery with him. Some cry out against sin, even as the mother cries out against her child when she scolds it as rude and naughty, but then quickly changes to hugging and kissing the same child. Hmm, Talkative's eyes narrowed. I see you're trying to be clever and catch me. Not at all, Faithful said. I am trying to set things right. So, what is the second thing you are going to mention as proof of a work of grace in the heart? Right knowledge of gospel mysteries, Faithful said. This evidence should have been first, but first or last, it is also false. For knowledge, great knowledge, may be obtained in the mysteries of the gospel without any work of grace in the soul. You see, even if a man has all knowledge, he may still be nothing, and so, consequently, not be a child of God. Scripture, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and although I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2 When Christ said, Do you know all these things? And the disciples answered, Yes. He added, Blessed are you if you do them. He doesn't lay the blessing in the knowing of them, but in the doing of them.
You see, there is a knowledge that is not accompanied with doing. Such a person is he who knows his master's will and doesn't do it. A man may have knowledge like an angel and yet not be Christian. So, your sign of knowledge as evidence is not valid. Indeed, to know is a thing that pleases talkers and boasters, but to do is what pleases God. Not that the heart can be good without knowledge. However, there are two kinds of knowledge. Knowledge based on the bare speculation of things, and knowledge which is accompanied with the grace of faith and love, which compels a man to do the will of God from the heart. The first serves the talker, but without the other, the true Christian is not content. Give me understanding and I shall keep your law. Yes, I will observe it with my whole heart. Psalm 119 verse 34 You are trying to trip me up again. This discussion is not for edification. Well then, Faithful said, offer another example of clear evidence of this work of grace in the heart. Talkative shook his head. No, not this time. I will not give you another example because I can see we won't agree. Faithful asked, Well, if you won't, are you willing for me to do it? Fine, feel free. Faithful nodded his thanks and said, A true work of grace at work in the heart is evident to the person himself as well as it is to the people around him. To the one who has it, it brings conviction of sin, especially the defilement of his new nature and the sin of unbelief for which he would be damned if it weren't for the mercy at God's hand by faith in Jesus Christ. This perspective and sense of these things work in him a sorrow and a shame for sin. Scripture Therefore I will declare my iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. Psalm 38, verse 18. Plus, he finds the Savior of the world revealed in him, along with the absolute necessity of living for and with him to the end of life. Through this he discovers a hunger and a thirst for him who has made the promise. Now, According to the strength or weakness of his faith in his Savior, so is the joy and peace he experiences, and so is his love of holiness, his desire to know him more, and also to serve him in this world. But though it reveals itself in this way, yet because of a person's own corruption and abused reason, they misjudge this matter, for they are unable to understand this work of grace. For this reason, the one who has this work going on in their heart is required to use very sound judgment before he can firmly conclude that this is a work of grace. Scripture We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Galatians 2, verse 15 and 16. For others, this work of grace is externally evidenced by a confession of faith in Christ, 
which comes from a genuine experience. And secondly, it is evidenced by a life that is in agreement with such a confession. Now, if you have any objections to this brief description of the work of grace and its evidence in true religion, then let me hear them right now. But if you don't, then let me propose another question. Talkative said, Now is not the time for me to object, but instead it is the time for me to hear what you have to say. So go ahead and pose your second question. All right, this is it, Faithful said. Have you experienced this, and does your life and conversation match up with what you say? Or do you place your faith in words or the things you talk about, but not in the truth and without a care for how you act? If you are so inclined, please answer me on this. But only say what you know the God above will say is true, along with what your conscience can justify. For it isn't the one who commends himself that is approved, but the one whom the Lord commands. Besides, to say you are one thing, when by your conversation and lifestyle all your neighbors tell you that you lie, this is a great wickedness. Talkative blushed, but he recovered and said, You now focus on experience, conscience, and God. I didn't really expect this kind of discussion, and I'm not inclined to give an answer to such questions, because I'm not accountable to you, unless you've taken it upon yourself to be my examiner. However, if you decided to do that, I would refuse to make you my judge. I do wonder why you decided to ask me such questions. Well, Faithful said, because I noticed your eagerness to talk and talk, but then understood you had no basis for your words. It was nothing but speculation on your part. Besides, to tell you all the truth, I have heard that you have a reputation as a man whose religion is based solely on talk, and that the way you live makes what you profess Nothing but a lie. They say you are a spot or stain among Christians, and that religion suffers because of your ungodly conversation and lifestyle. Some have already stumbled because of your wicked ways, and are more in danger of having their faith shipwrecked because of the way you practice your religion. For your religion involves meeting at a tavern, promotes qualities such as covetousness, uncleanness, swearing, lying, making friends with worldly people, and more. The proverb that describes a harlot is also true about you, that she is a shame to all women. In the same way, you are a shame to all genuine Christians. Talkative's lips turned down at the corners into a slight frown. Since you seem quick to listen to what others have to say about me, and to judge so rashly, I can't do anything but come to the conclusion that you are an irritable or depressed person who is not fit to carry on such a conversation. So with that, I say farewell. Christian came up to Faithful and said, I told you how this would end. Your words and his lusts could not agree. He preferred to walk away from your company than to reform his life. But he is gone. So let him go. The loss is his, and he has saved us the trouble of breaking away from him.
for if he had continued to walk with us, he would have been nothing but a blot on our reputation. Besides, the apostle says, Separate yourselves from such people. Scripture, Therefore come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord, and do not touch the unclean thing, and I will receive you. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17 Faithful nodded his understanding. I'm still glad we had this opportunity to have this short discussion with him. Perhaps he will think about it again. But even if he doesn't, I have spoken with him clearly about these matters. So if he perishes without the truth, I am innocent of his blood. Christian agreed. You did well to speak so frankly with him. Very little of this faithful dealing with men happens these days. When it does, it often makes true religion a stench to many who are nothing more than talkative fools. That's because their religion is only in word, and their conversation is morally corrupt and proud. And with so many of this type being admitted into the fellowship of the godly, they confuse the world, blemish Christianity, and grieve the sincere. I wish all men would deal with such impostors as directly as you have done. Then perhaps they would be made more agreeable to the truth. Either that or the fellowship of true Christians would prove to be too hot for them. Faithful said, How talkative showed off all he knew at first. How bravely he spoke. How he presumed to drive down all before him. But as soon as I talked about the work of grace within the heart, like the moon that's waning, so he too diminished and faded. And it will be the same for everyone unless they know the work of grace in their heart. Thus the two of them walked along, talking about what they had seen along the way. It made the way easy, which would otherwise have proven to be tedious to them, for they were now making their way through a wilderness. The Sixth Stage now when they almost passed through this wilderness, Faithful happened to look behind at the way they had come and spotted someone coming after them. He recognized the man, but asked Christian to be sure his eyes weren't playing tricks. Who is that coming after us? Christian looked and said, It is my good friend Evangelist. Yes, and my good friend too, said Faithful, for it was he who directed me to the way that leads to the gate. With that, Evangelist walked up and joined them. He said, Peace with you, dearly beloved, and may there be peace to those who have helped you. Christian clapped his friend on the back. Welcome, welcome, my good Evangelist. Just seeing you again reminds me of all your earlier kindnesses and tireless efforts for my eternal good. Yes, a thousand times welcome, Faithful said. Oh, sweet Evangelist. How desirable is your fellowship to us poor pilgrims? Evangelist offered them a broad smile. How have you fared, my friends, since the last time I saw you? What have you encountered, and how have you behaved yourselves? Christian and Faithful told him about all the things that had happened to them along the way, including the many difficulties they had endured up to this point in their travels. How glad I am to hear it, Evangelist said. Not glad that you have met with trials, but that you have proven yourselves to be victors over them. And for this reason, despite your many weaknesses, you have been enabled to continue in the way to this very day. 
I can't tell you enough about how well pleased I am about this. For my own sake, and yours, I have sown and you have reaped. The day is coming when both he who sows and they who reap shall rejoice together. Scripture And he that reaps receives wages and gathers fruit unto eternal life, that both he that sows and he that reaps may rejoice together. John 4, verse 36. That is, if you hold out to the end. For in due time you shall reap, if you do not grow weary. Scripture. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Galatians 6, verse 9. The crown of reward is before you, and it is an incorruptible one. So run in a way that you may obtain it. Scripture. Know ye not that those who run in a race indeed all run, but one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible one. I therefore so run, not as unto an uncertain thing, so I fight, not as one that beats the air but I keep my body under and bring it into subjection, lest preaching to others I myself should become reprobate. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. Some people have set out for this crown, but after they have gone a great distance, another comes in and takes it from them. Therefore, hold fast to what you have, and don't let another take your crown. Scripture. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast, that no one take thy crown. Revelation 3, verse 11. You are not yet out of the gunshot range of the devil, for you have not yet resisted to the point of blood as you strive against sin. Let the kingdom always be before you, and without wavering believe regarding the things that are invisible. Let nothing in this world come between you and the crown. Above all, Pay attention to your own hearts with their lusts, for they are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Set your faces with flint-like resolve, since you have all power in heaven and earth on your side. Christian thanked him for his counsel and encouragement, but added that he and Faithful desired to speak to him more, for they hoped for something helpful to take them the rest of the way. For they knew very well that he was a prophet, and that he could tell them about things that might happen to them, as well as how they might resist and overcome them. So Evangelist agreed and said, My sons, you have heard in the word of the truth of the gospel that you must go through many tribulations to enter into the kingdom of heaven, and again that in every city bonds and afflictions await you. For this reason you can't expect to travel very far in your pilgrimage, without encountering them in one way or another. You have already experienced a measure of this truth, and more will immediately follow. For now, as you can see, you are almost out of this wilderness. You will soon arrive at a town that you will see directly in front of you. In that town, you will be severely assaulted by enemies who will make every attempt to kill you. You may be sure that one or both of you will seal the testimony you hold with blood. In spite of this, be faithful unto death, and the king will give you a crown of life.
Whoever dies there, although his death will be unnatural and his pain great, yet he will have an advantage over his companion. First of all, he will arrive at the celestial city sooner. But secondly, he will also escape many miseries that the other will meet during the rest of his journey. But when you arrive at this town, and all that I have related to you comes to pass, then remember your friend and behave like men, and commit the keeping of your souls to God with good conduct as to a faithful Creator. 1 Peter 4 verse 19